hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Mr. Peter, hello. 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 I, I just called you Mr. Peter. Mr. Peter, yes. <laughs> you're going to be called from now on. Uh, Peter, how are you today? I am very well, thanks, and very, very pleased to be watching The Romans, which I'm very fond of, and I think you are too. I think it's marvellous. Um, would you mind telling other people, or telling everybody, sorry, where you've podcasted before? Because I know you haven't done a lot of this, but you have podcasted before, haven't you? Um, yes, I think I, I did a couple of episodes of um, To Watch Who um, a couple of years ago. So it was um, Defending the Gunfighters. And defending? Then Surely you were celebrating. Yes, it was celebrating. I, th I think that Mark, Mark and Sarah, I can't remember whether they were entirely sold but um yeah anything hartnell historical and then i was came back for um the underwater menace which again i absolutely adore and you're on a lot more solid ground there weren't you with the pair of them <laughs> i remember with that particular one with the underwater menace that mark and sarah were more sold on it than they had been with the gunfighters to watch who you say i've not heard of it i'll have to give it a listen <laughs> would recommend okay thank not, you. not sure about the guy though yeah oh well you yeah. know strange opinions um so yeah we are heading into black and white doctor who into william hartnell doctor who and i've got a feeling you're quite keen on black and white era doctor who why is yes, that and, uh oh, sorry i'm just i was just distracted by hartnell's watering of a plot plant pot plot plant a pot plant um yes um so i i um started watching oh damn it i've paused it by accident i started watching um Have you play already yes no i'm gonna count us in in a bit really yeah this is where i just talked to you at the beginning and then we i'll literally count you in five seconds five four three two one am, I'm I, am I rewinding yeah you need to go back to the start. right to the start okay there yes. we go oh i love it <laughs> so come on tell me about your love of black and white dogs who yeah well i think it so I became a fan in 2005 with um, Eccleston, watched the first series, and then went on eBay. Actually, maybe it was before the um, Eccleston series even finished, and did the obvious thing of starting Series 1, Episode 1 with the series, not really knowing quite how much there was out there. Um, and again, not really... I think I knew that episodes were missing, but I didn't quite know the episodes necessarily link together in the way that the Hartnell series is, the Hartnell serials do. Um, so, um, yeah, that was still when, it, um, I think most of them were released, some of them were released on DVD, a lot of them were VHS, so I definitely remember having the first three stories on VHS. And yeah, I just absolutely love that era. I think just from a historical television history point of view, and I think it's just so charming. I, I love the the cast and the characters, the, the two school teachers. The, oh, I love that set up at start to start I with. Imagine watching uh, two thousand and five Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who, and then watching nineteen sixty four William Hartnell Doctor Who. Like that's such a jarring shift. Between I, I think I might have seen some of the sort of Peter Cushing. I think I think I'd seen a little bit of the Peter Cushing films. Uh -huh. So actually, I'd possibly expected something a bit closer to the sort of colourful cheesiness 
obviously without the colour. Um, but I think I watched a lot of old TV anyway. Oh. I think that I was I was just a very strange sort of pretend of twelve year old <laughs> old films. Um, but um, yeah, I think I was just so fascinated, and I think another thing that I, I think there's something about even though they obviously weren't broadcast live about the it feels like so, it sometimes yes and <laughs> never quite the, the fact that it's a bit rough at the edges a bit the 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 fact that the historicals i mean i'm a big history geek so for me if it's an historical instant win um and you know um, what right with with uh especially william hartnell doctor who one of the things I, I just love is there's no formula at this point. So mm. they try everything. I mean, have you watched the entirety of William Hartnell Doctor Who or just yeah. watched Harry Picked? Oh, no, I've watched, I've watched everything. I've watched and everything. They just go everywhere, don't they? Like, you just never know from week to week. One week you're on the Sensphere, the next week you're on the Planet Vortis, the next week, you know, you're uh, having fun and war games with Saladin, the next week you're with Nero in Rome. Like, and all done in the corner of Lime Grove Studios mm. in that Production wise, as well, I think it, it's all over the place in a good way in terms of experimentation with mm. like some like Dalek Invasion of Earth, the amount of location work, and then the sort of Vaseline on the camera. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember having the sort of double pack VHS of the rescue and the Romans, which you always, oh, yeah, everybody in the head has that as a, I mean, it. It was produced as one one block, wasn't it? And then you got the the two part followed by the four part. But for me, I think that it's essentially. I mean, it's right what you say about the the fact that it's so eclectic and everything. But it seems to settle down a bit more as a formula from when Susan leaves. I I feel at least for a short time. I always find in like the first series it is anything goes. The second series they're like doing blockbusters, aren't they? They're like, right, we're mm. a success now. No, yeah, no. Dalek invasion of Earth, the web planet, the chase, you know. I'm very like much the resources to pull it off, but they have a go. Yeah. And I think that obviously this is the first sort of foreign who in a like comedy and it's a very different mm. um sort of historical to what we've had before. I think the Vicky as well. I think just the inclusion of Vicky, Vicky Maureen O'Brien. Oh, I met Maureen O'Brien. What was she like? Oh, she was lovely. I mean, this was only about nine nine months ago ish in um, was it Pandoric the, the the convention in Sheffield, which is brilliant. And I never really went to conventions, but I was like, it's, it's Peter Purvison, it's it's Maureen O'Brien. So, did you see? Did you see Maureen O'Brien? Oh, of course you did. You're a Doctor Who fan. In the Blu-ray release, the um the the advert for it for series. Yes, oh, so that man. was very exciting. That oh, was my heart. That did. It was gorgeous. Oh yeah, and I think it's. I love. I love that you never know what's going to come with those trailers. I think <laughs> with, with with my encounter with her, it was. I actually had a photo. I've got a photo on my wall here somewhere of me and Maureen O'Brien and Coquillian, and then. Had a photo with her and Peter, and then I got the Coquillian photo signed. And I, I remember I was queuing up, and she was like, "Oh, have you got the photo yet?" And um, yes, yeah, oh, she was just quite sweet. It, and I know that the even though I haven't been to that many of those conventions or anything, I think that the vibe I get is that she was always a bit distant from that scene. But now, I think I think she was quite honest with just how. She sort of embraces it, especially the smaller events like that. 
and I think she went she along said, to once, you know, she went along to one after being out of fandom for years and she'd written a few books and she was very mm. honest there and she went, well, I've got a few books to sell. So <laughs> that's what I'm here, you know? I mean, for her, I think, I think she was very, it was, I think the fact that the Peter was there, like, mm. I think she said they hadn't seen each other since, I think it might have been the uh, 2013 XL event. I might be wrong there, but um, I think she said that that's what, that particular event is what sort of made her embrace I think those conventions are like win-win though, aren't they? Because you've got the actors going along and they want to make a buck and fair enough. And then you've got the fans going along who are just desperate to have their moment with the mm. actors. So everyone's a winner. Everyone comes away smiling. Yeah. And I, I love the um, hearing their insights into, I remember one, I remember Peter Purvis and Maureen O'Brien asked what they, had they seen much of the new series? And Maureen O'Brien, <laughs> Maureen O'Brien said that she had seen, I think she'd only watched Rose and she absolutely loved it. Uh, and she said something about, she was she was singing the praise of Eccleston without me having realised that I think by then she'd recorded a big finish with him. Oh. Well, I think I think she's playing a giant spider, like a tap dancing spider or something I hear. He's out now, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm. it. Yeah. And, then, and Peter Purvis was um, saying that I think he'd watched the the rules, and then he'd watched. He said, "I watched the the three D film in an audience for the fiftieth." So I did the doctor, and he said, "And, no. and yes, he was he was he was quite um, he, he didn't have uh, positive opinions on it." Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's getting on a bit now. It was quite fast paced, you know. It was a lot yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, dear the Doctor, if you if you hadn't seen an episode since Rules, you might have just been a bit flexed, possibly. I, I feel like that every time I watch a Stephen Moffat script. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look, River Song, here she is. <laughs> well, I'll tell you somebody who we're never going to meet in a convention, and that is William Hartnell, unfortunately, Alas. who is absolutely on form in this story. And, man, he's the governor, isn't he? He's the boss. He's the first Doctor. He's great. And I think, yeah, I, I love that we see a side of him with this that I think he's he's absolutely loving the comedy. He's loving the material he's getting. Yeah. And um, we'll talk about this a lot more, but I think I just... He changes from being that... The sort of... The, the five Doctors, the sort of... The, the perception of the fifth of the first Doctor being sort of irascible and mm. grumpy and everything. And this he's completely unrecognisable from what he is in An Earthly Child, really. I think this whole season, this whole season two, is he's learned to relax a little bit. And then Maureen O'Brien comes in and he absolutely falls in love with her. And the pair of them together in this, like a pair of school kids. They're so naughty. Yeah, yeah brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, like, oh, we'll get to it while we watch it. But the bit where he says to Ian, uh, Ian and Bob, you know, I know what you're insinuating. I can't go off on my, come along, girl. Come along, child, off mm. we go. Like, you know, he's yeah. so much I love the bit when he tells Vicky that she's going, they're going to Rome and she just like makes like a squeak, like a really excited squeak. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like you and me if we were in a Doctor Who story, you know? Yeah. We are Vicky. And you know, okay, well, I promise we'll all start in a second. But though I did say to you on, on a um, messenger, this does contain one of my fa all-time favourite line readings in Doctor Who. And that is Hartnell's deadpan, Kill Nero? I beg your pardon when he learns the plot that he's embroiled in. Oh, it's just sublime. Well, I'll tell you what. Should we watch the thing? Yes. Let's do a, an actual let's play for a second time. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll count as in, shall I? 
Let's do that. In five, four, three, two, one. Off we go. Is this your favourite Hartnell historical? I think it's my favourite Hartnell historical that I'm able to watch. I think. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's timed with. It maybe it's timed with the Aztecs. Oh, yeah, that's a good. Even even those two are just so such different beasts. It, it is like comparing like chalk and cheese, and they're, they're only like, I don't know. And that the Aztecs is, is I feel like it's like plotted to the hill, isn't it? Like, mm. it's, there's lots going on there and moral complexity and all, all of that. But this, right, of something that people level at 60s Doctor Who a lot is that it's slow. And I think Dennis Spooner gets something absolutely right in this in that he gives a plot to the doctor and vicky to ian and to mm. barbara and we cut back from one to another to another every single episode so it feels really pacey yeah it's a way that i think obviously the three companions has been done um like before this and since this and i think that um the, the way of splitting the story um perhaps wasn't the case with i don't know the Go on, name and shame. Name and shame. Yeah, well, yes. It just it feels like these are just such like well drawn out characters, and oh, look at them with yeah. I feel as well though, like they've got fantastic chemistry, all of them, mm. you know. And how? When do we ever get to just chill out? Like yeah. this? <laughs> I mean, it's just wonderful. It, it's all like jarring in a good way. Like a bit like oh right, okay, here we are. That. It, that, it's the time jump, which is unusual. Yeah. Oh, what, going from the TARDIS falling over to them? Yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah. I remember that the the VHS um, of the rescue cuts out the cliffhanger. Oh, I so it ends that. with it ends before it materializes on the clifftop, because it was that old thing of uh, when they'd release the VHSs, even though weirdly it was in a double pack, they'd get rid of the cliffhangers and the next episode when it was leading into a different stories that the, the sort of stood alone well you say double pack there was a total cheat you know because there was a couple where they introduced uh where they released vhs's where it was six episodes on one tape mm. so they could do it they yeah the keys of baroness that was another one i oh, know <laughs> um, we were being conned out of our money that's what it was <laughs> so i mean that was the point because i was getting the vhs's when they'd all, they'd all been released i mean this was 2005 so it, they were very weirdly... I remember on eBay, you'd be paying, like, a heck of a lot of money for the Time Monster, and then you'd pick up, I don't know... I don't know, a seven-parter or something for, for next to nothing, so... Well, the, um, the thing was, the weird thing about those uh, VHS releases was, they just came out all over the place. You had a Hartnell, and then you had a Davison, then you had a McCoy. Was the same with the DVDs to an extent. Um, they did, yeah. I, mean, I suppose the, the DVDs are possibly a bit more curated in terms of, I've read that they had an end game of at least five years from the end, they knew that the last one was going to be Terror of the Zygons. Um do you know what's very funny about both the VHSs and the DVDs is that mm. Invasion of the Dinosaurs was one of the last ones released for both the VHS mm. as, if, as if that story is so bad. Oh, I love Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I think it's the, it's the double whammy, I think, the one black and white episode and hoping that it's surmountable by the time they get to the end of the range. Well, did you see that colourised version of it? Yeah. It, wasn't it, like, colourised? It, it was done via the system that did the whole like, Mind of Evil through. So I don't think it was actually colourised, was it? It was with the dots. Yeah, it was. It, I, I think know. they do with the dots. 
I prefer to watch it in black and white. That's all. Mm. I'm well, it's it's very telling that I think that's the special fit. The special feature is the coloured version. Whereas if you play it through, I think it's the black and white version is the default. So you get um, the fact that they've just um, they're just about to go off. Oh no, hang on, they haven't gone off yet, have they? This is uh, no, they haven't gone to Rome yet. There's my Mickey and Barbara going to the market. Yes, um, and Ian and the Doctor are just chilling out back in the yeah, villa. They're just chilling. But yeah, and speaking of children, yeah, like, as I said, that when on the VHS you go into the Romans, Tardis topples off a cliff. That's the start of the story, mm. and then suddenly you're like, right, are we like a month later, presumably, with they're just nestled in there. I'd love to say, I think there is a, a like a BBC novel. I think it's called Byzantium, set in between. Oh, don't do it! Don't read it. I've read it. Okay, it's written by Keith Topping, and honestly, it's full of gratuitous sex and violence, as they had a want to do back then with the books. Mm. It's it's a very We're different portrayal of the Romans to the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'd love to, or maybe that means that I, I, it's probably be careful what you wish for, but it's it's very intriguing thinking, right, well, they've toppled off the cliff. I'd love to see them getting out and being like, oh, well... what the hell have they been up to for the last four yeah yeah and then when they stumble upon this villa and they just decide to like squat in it i refuse um, to blink that this these four troublemakers the doctor ian barbara and susan managed to just chill out for four months Uh, four mm, months four weeks even susan Susan. (laughs) well i think i think in a way though i think it's vicky vicky is that extra thing which i think i I don't know, maybe they would be chilling a bit more. I think with the Susan and Vicky, it is, even though they're doing exactly the same thing in the plot, the, it was probably, presumably, storylined as a Susan story. I don't know, but... You tell me then, why does Maureen O'Brien as Vicky work so well? Whereas, I don't know what that's a good word to say about Carol Ann Ford and Susan anymore. I think it's not Carol Ann Ford. I think it's the... it's Vicky just loves being there and traveling i think susan has all this angst and she she has a lot of phobias doesn't she, she has, there's a lot of things that she's scared of Do you remember obviously. in the Great of terror when she's in that cell the rats oh yeah she's screaming her head off isn't she and um oh, there's the rats and there's the the screaming jungle she doesn't like the noise oh, she's just grabbing her head yeah. and she's just going ah! <laughs> and um i feel like vicky like if Vicky was to freak out, you know, you know, you know that things are bad. I like Vicky in the Space Museum. You know, when she goes right, I'm going to start a revolution. Mm. You know? yeah. <laughs> let's get, let's break out the guns. You know, <laughs> she just yeah, it's just she just uh, just so joyous. I think her, we'll see her with obviously Hartnell, and it, it's that whole thing with I always prefer the companions who just really want to be there and really enjoy it. Do you know what's a, uh, you're going to think there's an unusual contrast from Susan to Vicky is I find from Perry to Mel in the Sixth Doctor's mm. time when you've got Perry and she's whinging and she never wants to be there and she always wants to go back to the TARDIS and then Mel comes along in Terror of the Vervoids and she's up for the adventure. She's, you know, investigating in all the rooms and she and it's just so refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air and I think it's sort of like it takes away a bit of a barrier to the story if there isn't somebody there who's finding, oh, there he is with his... Oh, liar. that's that's Maximus Battalion, isn't it? Maximus Battalion, the famous liar player, <laughs> Corinth. I was watching this with the production subtitles on. Apparently, he was only about sixty-two. He looks about ninety. Oh, man, oh. yeah, yeah. 
You see this fella here, the assassin? Yes, he comes back, doesn't he? Do you know what bro he plays later on in Doctor Who? He, t- he turns into a Varga plant. Oh, oh, does he? Oh, 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 is he? Um, oh, Armageddon Factor. He's Drax from the Armageddon yes. Factor, yeah. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't watched it with the uh, subtitles. I mean, this is a comedy, but we've just watched a man being dragged into a bush and stabbed to death. I mean... <laughs> by by an, another man who's had his tongue chopped out. But I do like that about this, in that it is blissfully funny, this, but there is a bit of an edge to it. There's a scene later on where um, Nero stabs the centurion mm. and pulls it out and then you literally see the blade with the blood on it and then he just makes a, a comedy line he goes we well, didn't fight hard enough well yeah it's, it's just very like gallows dark humor but it doesn't seem know. too violent or too dark because it's sort of oh i, I look at sorry how camp is hartnell here? <laughs> um... fabulous my dear absolutely fabulous eggs and eggs William Russell says in the documentary I was watching earlier that Dennis Spooner came in and he added all this humour and he said that suddenly the dialogue was just so sayable mm. because it was how people actually talk. There's that great joke in a minute where he goes, oh, Chesterfield, Chesterton, oh, Barbara wants you. You know, like, mm. <laughs> it's really, really funny. Oh, see, I could watch this. I could watch this. Yeah. So it's the four of them just... Hanging about, having a bit of food. But I, I, I picture them being just as chummy in like the BBC canteen. Oh well, no! Do you know what they used to do? Oh, do I oh, want to know? Oh, oh, no. Out of my illusions. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that didn't. Mean... What this bunch? No, <laughs> your filthy mind elsewhere. No, I, I, I just thought you were going to be that the, they hated each other. I'm like, I don't. Please don't tell me that. Oh, I tend not to be filthy in this podcast. No, I do actually. Honestly, um, no. Hartnell used to bring in a Fortnum and Mason's hamper. And between the scenes, they used to spread it all out and have a bit of luxury. So it was a bit like this in real life. But yeah, you know, I think these, these sets are quite nice, you know. You know what I've never noticed? Vicky's eating, like, Maureen O'Brien, she's eating a real apple. Whereas Susan, Dark Invasion of Earth, there's that whole thing where she's, every time she's going to be, bite an apple, she's distracted. It's one of those, like, plastic crop apples. There you go. Brian's straight in there. Straight in there with the apple. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's packing his grips. And the doctor's like, off. And I love the fact that they treat him like this happens a couple of times in the first two seasons where he wants to go off. And they're like, oh my God, we've got to keep an eye on him. Like he's going to get into trouble. But he hasn't even planned. He's just like, yeah, I'm off to Rome. <laughs> and, and Vicky's just like in hysterics about the whole thing. And so you love it as well. When they get to Rome, right, and they realise they're in the middle of this conspiracy plot, <laughs> they're just loving that as well, aren't they? Like, oh, so, I'm going to go off and find out things. That was Vicky's squeal. I love that. that she's going And she throws when, the when apple she and she... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Can you please make a comment in a second? Because there are some people that say that Ian and Barbara are uh, post-coital in a mm. minute when they're sitting around blissed out on... Yes. Roman I, I've seen that. I've seen. Well, I, have, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've, I've well, that. I hope you haven't. <laughs> I've read that theory. Yeah. I mean, any thoughts? <laughs> I think it, I was talking about this with my partner yesterday. What because we watched this this first episode and Ian and Barbara. I think it it, it from writer to writer the intention I think changes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I think this is a um. There's a there's obviously their chemistry there's there's a lot of chemistry yeah. and they're very 
like playful. Um, I don't think there was any hanky panky in the Taurus, but mm. I think that definitely I, I love the idea that it, they sort sort of that relationship blossomed. Yeah, what happens in Rome stays mm, in Rome. Stays in Rome. Right. It's never mentioned. Yeah. Another thing as well that's really sophisticated about this script is um, how the jokes, there's like a, a delayed payoff in some of the jokes. So in mm. a minute, when the uh, when the slave traders come in and it's Barbara that smashes the pot. Yes, over him, yes. Hello, that is just hilarious. Because even the, what, what's the, what's the phrase that Ian says in Latin? El temp temper, whatever. He, she says that again in the final episode and it's like, like right, normality's resumed now. The back, but isn't that isn't that when he learned in the last episode that she hit him over the head? And he goes, "You're responsible for yes, yeah, rowing on a ship and all of this." Oh, look at oh, don't look, don't look so different with the hair, just slightly. I love I love this in um, historical Doctor Who's that you get to they get to make them up a bit differently. Different mm. costumes. Different I think that's that's that. one thing I love about the Hartnell as well that he. he he obviously loves the dressing up and I think well the character loves the dressing up and I think it's not something you always get in later eras I don't know too much about Hartnell's pre-Doctor Who career had he done a lot of comedy? I know he'd done some he, he was like was Carry On Sergeant but yeah I mean to be honest I mean the only thing I've really seen him in is um, Brighton Rock oh I've not seen that is he good he's, that? he's basically a gangster yeah he's just very strange seeing <clears throat> William Hartnell, but like <laughs> slight, slightly less old looking, and remembering his lines. Yes, because it was on film, so he just reshoots. Um, oh, you but... love his, his gag about the fridge. Oh, oh yes, um, fridge. again is another one that's called back again when he turns it on her in the final episode and gets her to look in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I swear to God, when when he says very funny, very. He sounds pissed as a fart, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder. Like normally, he's pretty good in a fight, but he he gets taken quite easily by the end mm. of it. Yeah, and these ones seem like the most uh, sort of fearsome. Especially, I've never got the the. I think it might be this bit here. The um the guy with the the, the beard, mm. the um the sort of junior of the two slave traders. When he keeps missing his scabbard, what's all that about? Uh, a, a dramatic effect i'm not sure it, yeah i don't know is it trying to show that he's an apt i mean yeah i don't know oh this is on a postcard Th this is yeah Th this uh, is the scene isn't it i yeah. have just had it off i'm telling you look <laughs> <laughs> we've all had a moment like this you know where we're lying about afterwards oh maybe not with a roman goblet uh, i don't think they're unkempt yeah uh, they're not unkempt enough but <laughs> oh i love that as well they they Clink glasses, they're both like you. You go and get it, yeah. You, you fill it up, yeah. Ah, oh, Jacqueline Hill. Do you know what? Like, there's very little, um, like interview footage of Jacqueline. Hill. I think there's one convention that she went to that was filmed that is on one of the DVDs. Mm. Man, she was good as Barbara, though, wasn't she? Mm. I was reading, um, I've, I read the there's a, um, a biography about her that was published a couple of years ago by some independent publisher um and about how i think she started off she worked for like cadbury's i think oh, oh some other confessions she worked in the factory um because i think her family like said you 
got to leave school. You can't. You you got to like earn a living or whatever. And she worked in a factory, and then she ended up um, with obviously Alvin Rakoff. Um, Rakoff, right wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I read his um memoirs um just a month or two ago. Um, it's called um, um, I'm just the guy who says action. I think. Oh, okay. it's, it's it's about um it's very very like Jacqueline Hill is mentioned quite often but as a sort of him getting home and then her giving pearls of wisdom sort of thing right um, and it's all about him working for the BBC in the 50s and the 60s and about him um she recommended um Sean Connery um for Sean Connery's first big break Really? So, so she's um, responsible for Connery's Bond. Well, yeah, the end. Of, so Jacqueline Hill and Sean Connery starred, uh, I think it was called a, a Requiem for a Heavyweight, um, which is, I think, missing now. But um, yeah, she um, she suggested, um, I think it was something like um, um, the, the casting decision was up to him. And she went, we can't, we can't cast some Scottish. Um, oh, no. he I think he he said like he can't even make out what he's saying. He, he was casting as an American, and Jacqueline Hill was just like, yeah, but if you've seen them, like the the women will absolutely love them. And I think that was it. I think she, he just took her advice. Oh, Jackie! Oh, the, then, one of the best stories I ever heard about her was from Anne Davis, who played Jenny in Dice. Yes, yeah, they became like busy mates. And when she had her children, she stopped acting. So she came out of acting for like a decade or so um and she realized she'd been out too long and it's really hard to make your mark again afterwards and apparently um and davis goes oh i'll tell you what i fancy doing this open university and she was one of these you know let's get it done people jacqueline hill she goes right she got all the brochures she signed us up within a day we were there doing it by the end of the week she sounds like an incredible woman and nobody in the production if you speak to anyone william russell um, Caroline Ford, nobody has got a bad word to say about her. Mm. Oh, well, like, there's a very good um, Myth Makers documentary that's about Jacqueline Hill, mm-hmm. um, interviewing people who know her. And um, I mean, I'm a bit um, sad that of all things for it to come back for it was Megloss. As much as I mean, I quite like Megloss, it's fine. I do too. <laughs> it does feel like you're sort of wasting Jacqueline Hill a bit. Do you see I how thought... she leaves in that? She just sort of gets shot, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, well, she doesn't stand the in the way of Romana, but I think that you can tell it's probably filmed at two minutes to ten. And then... <laughs> yeah. Um... Just get in front of that gun, all right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and as well, I think I, I think it's just the... I mean, it's maybe maybe it's a good thing that um, William Russell wasn't available for Mordred Undead, because they probably wouldn't... I mean, he would have probably mentioned barbara in a, or haven't seen her in years or something yeah and Whereas, so I, I don't know there's there, there is that inference isn't there that in the rusty davis what was it death of the doctor uh yeah the sarah jane yeah about mm. um they haven't aged the couple in cambridge um i'll see what he, he aged a fair bit then between well, that yeah, and yeah the i mean obviously caught up with them <laughs> yeah. barbara's at home yeah, but you love the fact that so Vicky and the Doctor come but stumble across this body in the bush, okay, and then he's immediately mis- instead of just going, oh no, you've this is a case of mistaken identity. He's like, right, come on, we're going to get involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so naughty. I love I love how he can't remember 
the name of the guy who's impersonating as well. Yo, do you know what? I've only, you're right. I was watching this without the dialogue. He's Campus Christmas in this, isn't he? Mm. he could Lots play. of arm wearing and... <laughs> <You know. laughs> Maximus Battalion. No, I love as well the, the music in this. The dur, dur, dur. Like what, it, the comedy music during uh, some of the fights. I mean, mm. it's the most overt comic music <laughs> you've ever heard. That fight scene in episode two, oh, it's just priceless. Who's the fight? Who's the fight in episode two? I'm trying. To... Well, no, well, it's not really much of a fight. It's the the assassin coming in to get the doctor. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, the very <laughs> beginning of episode two. Yeah, he gets tossed out of a window. It's hilarious. <laughs> I will do a bit of quoting next. I love the dialogue. <laughs> so you read the Black Archive on this, didn't you? Or you've perused it? Yes, I, well, I read it a couple of years ago, when I think when it first came out, and then I perused it before watching this. And uh, yeah, it does make a point of the fact that this was obviously the first serious, like, comedy story. Like, obviously, there's been stories with comedy in it before, but I think this is the first one where it is built around the comedy. Uh, I mean, as you, I think you've pointed out before, like that, there's so much dark stuff happening in it. There's mm. old men getting killed in the bushes and everything, but all of that is sort of like sprinkled over with just the comedy and the it would be a very different story if it was played straight for sure in fact um james moran who wrote fires of pompeii so that's like the the rome story in the mm. new series um or the roman empire story he says that like the bit where tigelinus is poisoned by nero mm. it's like oh is this poisonous tigelinus try this and then he dies he goes, you know, if this wasn't played for laughs, this would be so mm. dumb. And you hear of like later stories, especially in the 80s, where it's been written comedic and then it's played straight. I think The Leisure Hive might have been one. And I think that this is a one way it could really be like, I mean, that, The Reign of Terror is quite bleak. And even though there's some comedy in that, and I think it all just depends partly on the director and you can go the other way as well i think paradise towers is written fairly seriously and is played mm. like a farce yeah. richard Ryers, yeah tonally it's all a bit strange but this yeah. is quite serious um you know ian off to and barbara is actually said taken to a market in a minute isn't she and i suppose it's their storyline is the serious storyline with i mean Vicky and the Doctor are on the periphery of the serious stuff happening, but theirs is basically the... Anything anything that has Nero in... They get all the best things. It's going to be comedy. Yeah. Oh my god, you know, the, the bit later on when uh, he's in the sauna with Hartnell mm. <laughs> and he keeps waving the sword in his face. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, oh just anything with uh, Hartnell and Morton O'Brien is gold. Okay, what's occurring here? Oh, that's right. So he's saying, right, yeah. you didn't murder Maximus Battalion. Go and get to it. Mm. And yeah, it talks about what he, he's done, obviously. He's had his tongue cut out for whatever reason. I shouldn't refer to it. Wow, again, like, that is pretty dark, isn't it? Mm. This new assassin. It's a bizarre cliffhanger of, like, it's not the moment of jeopardy. It's the suspense that the jeopardy is coming. Yes, yeah. But I love the I love the the music here as well, where it's like, you know. Well, I don't know whether it was composed specially, but it does seem like stock sixties brilliant suspenseful music. Well, look to see us out of episode one. I'm going to ask you a question. 
Okay. Mm. How do you think that fares as a scene setter? I think it's great. I think that the set, I think it changes gears. It becomes more, even more comedic. I think when we get to Rome. Um, but yeah, I I think it definitely sets the scene well. I've had a lot of people say that a lot of the comedy is contained in episode three. Mm. Um, but I'd say that is some of the more uncomfortable comedy in this story. Um, Mm. It's certainly, I'm going to say the word rapiest episode of Doctor Rapiest, Who yes. There has ever been. Um, and we'll get there. We will talk about that when we get there because this was a different time. This was the time of carry on with boots mm. flying about all over the place and things like that. But I think you're right. I think that the comedy is paced throughout the entire story. Yeah. And I think that when you say about how the, the, the characters are split up, I think the tone as well is. You know when the doctor turns up in this story that it's gonna be a light scene. Yeah. And yet, you know that I mean Ian Ian and Barbara probably put through, really put through the ringer in this story. They must know every time they go back in time, oh fuck's sake, you know, Jesus mm. Christ. I don't know. I'm gonna go through the ringer now. Mm. I mean, do you remember Barbara in the Crusade? Yeah, I mean that's still to come for, isn't it? I mean that's very much still like Ian to the rescue and but that, yeah. that when she's um, dragged in front of Ella Keir and he says to her, "Oh, death is the oh, was it? Yeah, the only pleasure left for you is death, and death is very far away." Damn, it's dark. That's horrible. And, and the amount of, I mean, yes, like in twenty years' time, Perry has it quite bad as well with being lusted over by men. But yeah, um, Barbara, Barbara, yeah. I just feel like Barbara, as a sort of mature woman, she can hold her own. And mm. the difference between what happens with Perry in later stories and Barbara in this is, I basically think she runs rings around Nero, despite the fact that she's the one mm. on the run. You know, yeah. he's a bumbling fool. But... Yeah, and actually, I think she does that a lot. She runs, I think she uses her intelligence. And yeah. her, um, I think being able to tell the mindset of other people. Yeah. Well. That's Barbara we... all over. That is Barbara. Fabulous, honestly. And I'm glad we saved a bit of time to talk about Jacqueline Hill. Um, Should we skip into episode two? Yes, let's start straight off. Right, let's do it. <laughs> 